Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Well, Father, I thank you for each person on the Zoom. And Father, we thank you that you're with us this morning at 6 a.m. And we thank you, Lord, uh, just that uh, you are going to guide and you're going to lead us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would underline uh, to each of us as we look at Genesis 12, underline that portion of scripture that you want us to really center in on and apply in our lives. So, Lord, we give you this time and we thank you, Lord, uh, for being our instructor. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me read Genesis 12, and then we will take it apart. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions, which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negba. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And it will come about when the Egyptians see you that they'll say, this is his wife, and they'll kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and 
female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with a great plague because of Sarai, Abram's wife. The Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. <laughs> okay. Uh, as I was looking at uh, Genesis 12, uh, basically four major points came to my mind. Number one uh, is God is to be the initiator in our life, and we're to be the responders. God is the originator of things that we are to respond when he says something. That's number one. Number two, uh, God calls us to have a strong faith in him. Everybody on the screen, people in the word of God, doesn't matter. God wants us to have a strong faith. Number three, uh, the Lord wants us to consult him when we experience hard trials. Well, I'm sure that's true for each of us. We go through a lot of those in our life. And God wants us to consult him. How am I to deal with this specific situation? And last, God redeems our mistakes and our sins if we let him. So there are the four points I'd like to uh, look at today. And let's just jump in, right? Number, number one, God is the initiator. So again, if you look at uh, Genesis 12, uh, look at verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, now again, I want you to see here in these first three verses, Abraham didn't go to God and say, hey, God, I have a great big plan and a dream, and I'm going to tell you how we're going to get it done, okay? Abraham didn't say, hey, God, here's the plan, bless it. God is the one that took the initiative, so watch it carefully. So Abraham's just doing his thing, and it says here, the Lord said to him, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. So God initiated that first step of Abraham, okay? Uh, and then he said, uh, as you go, he said, I'll make you a great nation, okay? God's the, the driving force here. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. So here again, <coughs> excuse me, God initiates. He initiates. He gets the ball rolling. He said he calls him, and then as he calls Abraham, Abraham responds, and God says, as you do this, I'll do that. I'll bless this, I'll bless that. And uh, I just think it's really important in our lives to realize that God is the prime mover. That's We're designed to let him initiate events in our life. Instead of running around uh, like a chicken with its head off, sometimes we're running around, I'll do this for God, I'll do that. And we're a, a lot of commotion, almost like Martha in the Bible, we're stirring up a lot of dust and not seeing much happen. I think the Lord's clearly saying here, let me initiate things, and it'll go a lot smoother and much more effectively. I'd like you to look at, I don't usually have you turn, but uh, there's a, a portion I'd like you to look at in the book 
of Nehemiah. So if you find the Psalms, you know, back up from the Psalms, you'll find Job. <coughs> back up a little bit from Job. And you come across the book of Nehemiah. Why I want to bring Nehemiah up is it's another great illustration of God being the initiator. That's the point I want to really drag home and really hammer home. So uh, in Nehemiah chapter 9, we're going to see uh, not only did God initiate things in Abraham's life. And by the way, it's not just Abraham. Uh, if you remember Noah. God initiated Noah to build an ark. Noah didn't go to God and say, hey, by the way, I'm going to build you a boat. God initiated that with Noah. God initiated uh, the thing with Moses. Okay. Moses didn't go say, I'm going to, I'm going to go uh, do this. No, God met him in a burning bush. So God is the initiator. And here in Nehemiah, I wanted you to see that too. So Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Nehemiah says this. Now uh, thou alone art the Lord. Who starts things going? Thou hast made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that's in them. Thou didst glide life to them, and the heavenly host bow down before thee. Okay, so God initiated. He created the heavens, he made the earth. Verse 7, thou art the Lord God who chose Abram, brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees, and gave him the name Abraham. And thou didst find his heart faithful before thee, and didst make a covenant with him, to give to him the land of the Canaan, whatever. So again, who's the initiator here, according to Nehemiah? God called Abraham out. Uh, again, looking at God, how he is the one that leads the way. Nehemiah 9, <coughs> verse 9. Thou didst see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. Thou didst hear their cry by the Red Sea. Thou didst perform signs and wonders against Pharaoh. And it goes on. Uh, if you look at verse 11, thou didst divide the sea before them. So they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground. If you look at verse 12, and with a pillar of cloud, thou didst lead them by day. And with a pillar of fire by night, the light, uh, the way, I'm sorry to light the way for them in which they should go. And then 15, thou didst provide bread from heaven for them, for their hunger, thou didst bring forth water from a rock for them, for their thirst. Again, God is the initiator. He went before Israel with the cloud. They just didn't say, ah, oh, we're gonna go here, we're gonna go here, let's just choose what we think. No, God said, I am the initiator, I will lead and I will guide. So the big deal, uh, I think at this point, uh, on point one is God didn't just say he's just going to bless anything that comes into our mind, okay? God can only bless what's in his own will. So what's essential for us is to seek to determine God's will and then do it. I like Henry Blackaby. Uh, Henry Blackaby said this, find out what God is doing and then join him, Okay. Find out what God's doing, and when you find out, join him. If you've never done the Experiencing God course, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. Very practical, very experiential, and very life-changing. So basically, <clears throat> if you want to be effective in ministry, don't be an independent agent. Don't do your own thing. Be dependent on the Lord. Lean into him. 
and let him show you what to do. It's not always easy to determine his will. I grant you that. Sometimes we really do have to pray it through, talk it through with him and others. But it's worth waiting to find out what he wants, because what he initiates, he will complete. So, okay, so that's number one. God is the initiator. We are to respond when he tells us what to do. And, you know, guess what? That's exactly what Abraham did. God said, Abraham, I want you to leave. And what did Abraham do? He left. He responded. He could have said, no, I'm not doing it. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to leave my homeland. I don't want to leave my relatives. No, no, I want to do my own thing. No. God called Abraham response. That's what he wants from you and me. God has a call, I believe, on everybody on the screen. He may not call you to leave all your family. He may not call you to do some other thing that seems very hard. But he is calling to each of us, and it behooves us to hear that call, and when we hear it, to put obedience to that call for him. Okay, so number one, God is the initiator. Number two, <coughs> God wants a great faith. So let's go back again to Genesis chapter 12. And we'll leave Nehemiah behind here. Genesis 12 and verse 4. So Abraham went forth, as I said, okay? That's an act of faith. When we obey, that's putting legs to our faith. Uh, and it says here, uh, let me give you one other scripture in regards to faith. This is in Hebrews, and it's chapter 11, verse 8. And it says, you know, Hebrews 11 is that chapter about all the, the great people in the Bible that showed faith and illustrated it in different kinds of ways. And uh, the author of Hebrews talks about our man, Abraham. Uh, Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to the place which he was to receive for an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fell heirs of the same promise. So it says here, Abraham had great faith. He trusted God. And that's really important. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says this, and I think you've heard it before. Without faith, it's impossible to what? Please him. Okay? Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. The Lord wants us to believe him. He wants us to trust him uh, implicitly. And think about this. If we don't trust him, then basically what we're saying, uh, in a sense, is, Lord, you're not faithful. And, and to make matters worse, if we don't trust him, not only we, we're saying, in a sense, you're not faithful, Lord, we're saying, in a sense, Lord, you're a liar. You don't keep your promises. So faith is so utterly essential. The Probably two of the greatest words in the Bible is the word obey, okay, which we talked about in the beginning. God initiates. We obey. But one of the second greatest words in the Bible is this idea of faith, trust. That's what God's looking for in each and one of our lives. So here's the deal. <laughs> I've asked this question to myself, 
I probably maybe I'm sure you've asked the question. Uh, I, my faith feels shaky sometimes. It doesn't feel strong as I believe it could be. So, Lord, how can I get my faith stronger? And maybe that's what somebody may be thinking in your head today. You know, okay, God wants me to have faith. I want to have faith, but I don't feel like I have strong faith. So how, how can I get strong faith? And let me just say very clearly, the Bible speaks to that issue. If you have faith that's weak and wobbly, it can grow strong. And this is just not for anybody specifically, one person over there. This is for anybody on the screen. If you want your faith to grow strong, the Bible is very clear how that can happen. So how do we get a strong faith? Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith, okay, you probably heard this. So faith comes. So you want more faith? You want a strong faith? Faith comes. It comes to you. It comes to me. How? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if I want my faith to grow, you want your faith to grow, you got to pick up this book right here, and we need to get into the Bible. This is how faith comes. This is literally faith food, you might say, when you study the Bible. So we need to do that consistently. And I would say quite honestly, I mean, I think this is awesome that you folks get up at six in the morning. Anybody that gets up at six in the morning to study the Bible, I take my hat off to you. That's amazing. But quite honestly, uh, if this is our entire Bible study, uh, you'll definitely grow in faith. But it's almost like the more time you put into something, the more you get out of it. So I think to have a strong faith, we need to feed our faith, probably not just in the soap, but in our own personal devotions as well. So if you want a strong faith, I think we have to study the word of God. Not just, not just read it, you know? Sometimes we can read it. Okay, I got to read a chapter today. Read it, check, boom, done. So it's not just enough to read the word. I think we need to study it to try to understand it. Uh, but it's not enough just uh, to read it and study it. I think the Bible says we're to meditate on it. To meditate on it, to think about it, to ponder it. In the Hebrew, the word meditate means to chew the cut. Now, that sounds a little bit different. Uh, from what I understand, I believe uh, cows have five stomachs. I might be off a stomach or two, but I think it's five. Uh, and when a cow eats grass, the grass goes into stomach number one. It gets beat up a little bit and digested and is regurgitated back into the mouth. And then it chew, you know, the, the cow chews on it. It then goes into stomach number two digested some more, is regurgitated, and this goes on like, you know, a period of time. So that grass is thoroughly, thoroughly digested. <laughs> so I think what I hear the Lord saying is we need to study the word. We need to meditate on it so that it literally becomes um, assimilated, you might say, into our spiritual bloodstream. So it's not just something in the brain Intellectually, it's something that gets from the brain and drops down into the heart. And that's where the bell goes off and things really become real. So we're to study the word of God, meditate about it, 
pray over it, ask the Holy Spirit to make it real. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate teacher of the word. He inspired this book. Not only did he inspire it, he's the one that can breathe on it again and make it alive and active in our hearts. Uh, so as I said, there's a great difference between knowing about the Bible and about God and really knowing God. I'm convinced of this. If we had one verse that could get fully from the head and deep into the heart, it would change our lives. <laughs> and that's Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So, <clears throat> I mean, we could say that we can memorize it as a kid. We can read it. But if it's just on intellectual, it's not going to get us through the crises and the heartaches of life. Somehow it has to get deeper into our inner being. And I believe it did. If it does, it would change our entire life because we would have such a peace knowing that we have a shepherd that's going to take care of us and lead us and guide us and supply our every need. So the Holy Spirit is the one that illuminates the word. Uh, and it, it may take time. I can't say that you can just read the Bible and boom. Okay, Holy Spirit, enlighten this verse. I want it now. Boom. And we're a culture that wants everything now. We don't like to wait. But you may have to meditate on the, some of these scriptures, maybe days, weeks, even months, where you've prayed over Holy Spirit, unlock this verse. And you'll know when it's unlocked. It's like almost like Eureka. Wow. I've seen it before, but now my eyes are open. Wow, what a powerful verse. I'm sure you've had that experience. So if you want a strong faith, we need to get into the word and think about it, pray about it, meditate on it till the Lord lights it up. And when that happens, there will be that strong faith that's much deeper than just something that you have in your brain. And I think we need to remember, as I'm wrapping this section up, that the purpose of the Bible it's not just to give us more data. It's not just to give us good doctrine. Yes, it's that. But the ultimate purpose of the Bible is so that we can actually get to know the one who wrote the Bible. So that we can get to know our creator. So the whole idea of meditating is to, God, to make God real to us. See, here's a key verse. And I bring this verse up uh, in a lot of soaps at different times, and I love it. It's Psalm 9:10. Those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. The psalmist is saying this. Those who know God's name, those who know God's character, not just in the brain, but have got that deep in their hearts and can say, Psalm 23, 1, I know, I know, I know that I know that I know in my heart the Lord's my shepherd. If we really get that, he says, those who know thy name will naturally put their trust in him. The more you know God, the more you'll trust him. Okay? That's, it's a proportional thing. The more I know God experientially, the more I'm willing to trust him with the details and the hardships of my life. Okay. So first, God's the initiator. We are the responders. Number two, God wants us to have a strong faith. And number three, God wants us to consult him when we encounter hard times. So flipping back here again to Genesis 12. And again, I've been bouncing around here. Genesis 12. If you look at verse 5, 
And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his nephew, all their possessions, which they had accumulated, the persons, and he sets out, okay, for the land. It says he passes by certain things in verse 6. God appears to him in verse 7. He says, I'm going to give the land to your descendants. And he builds an altar. Uh, and then it says here, 9. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Nebka. The Nebka is just meaning he's going south. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Okay, this is an interesting thing, <coughs> a famine. So if I read this correctly, uh, it seems that Abraham saw there's a famine and just as a knee-jerk reaction said, hey, um, this is not good. I'm just going to bop down to Egypt. I get a better shot of surviving there. From what we can see biblically, it doesn't look like Abraham consulted God and said, well, what am I to do? Lord, I'm in a famine. I'm stuck. Where do you want me to go? Where should I do this or that? He doesn't seem to consult the Lord. Uh, and from what I can see, because he doesn't consult the Lord, he ends up in Egypt. And when he goes to Egypt, everything goes south. So I think if he had stopped and said, God, there's a famine, what, what, what should I do here? I think God probably would have redirected him in some other way or some other place. Uh, but he just kind of did this knee-jerk reaction. Uh, <clears throat> so if you look at 11, because he's now in Egypt, look at what begins to unfold. And it came about when he came to Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. It'll come about when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife. And they'll kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. <clears throat> so Abram says, uh, I think I'm in a mess. And he may have avoided that mess. I really think if he had consulted God, I'm thinking God would not have sent him to Egypt. He would have done some other thing. I don't know why. But now Abraham's caught in a jam because he knows his wife is pretty. He knows people are going to notice it. And they're going to uh, want Sarai for themselves. So how do you get Sarai for yourself? Well, you bump off Abraham. So Abraham, in a sense, panics a bit. Uh, and he says uh, to his wife, well, pretend that you're my sister, uh, and that way uh, I can stay alive. So there's something fishy here. I don't think God wants us to lie. I don't think God condones a lie. And that's basically how Abraham's trying to deal with the issue. He's trying to kind of lie himself out of a hard, hard situation which may have been avoided totally if he had consulted God. So in regards to this in your life of mine, you know, I don't know if you're in a famine in your life. And if you're not in a famine in your life today, don't worry, because it's going to come up in the future. This is not an easy journey. I've come to the conclusion there is a lot of bumps in this fallen world. And everybody, you're all going to have your turn as well as myself. Life is not easy, and we're going to hit famines and hardships, uh, and I think what I'm learning from here 
is God doesn't just want us to rush ahead <coughs> and deal with the hardship with our best shot. No, I think he wants us to seek his guidance. Lord, I'm in a hard situation. Lord, I have a health problem. I have a financial issue. I have some relationship thing. Lord, I'm in, I'm in a hard spot. Lord, how do, how do you want me to handle this situation? How do you want me to approach this situation? What's your wisdom? What's your guidance in this specific situation? And I think he wants us to do that in big issues that come in our lives and little issues that come in our lives. So I think we may cause ourselves a lot less pain when the hard times come if we say, God, what's the lesson here? Okay, I think that's the million dollar question when we go into hard times of life. Lord, what are you trying to say? Because nothing happens, I believe, in any of our lives by a mistake. Whatever comes into your life, how to go through God's permission first. I like somebody said, we live in a father filtered world, meaning if God's permitted something in your life, he had to permit it. If he permit it and he's a loving and a good and a wise God, then there is a good purpose in that situation. And it would behoove us, instead of just making our own quick decisions in these hard times, say, Lord, what's up? What are you trying to teach me? How do you want me to handle this situation? Okay, last thing, uh, God redeems our sins and our mistakes. Let's look at verse 14. And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And Pharaoh's officials saw her, praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abraham well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. They escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Pharaoh is not a happy camper. <laughs> I mean, it's not good. It says, the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. You know, Pharaoh's not stupid. He said, you know, okay, why am I going through these plagues? Something's not right. And as he tracks it down, <coughs> he finds out that Abraham's lied to him. And it's interesting, even though Abraham has been deceptive and lying, God still protected Sarai from being forced to be Pharaoh's wife. So God can redeem even our mistakes and our sins. God took care of Sarah, even though everything got all bungled up. Uh, and I think that's really important uh, because through our lifetime, I'm sure we make mistakes, right? Everybody here on the screen has. Uh, in our lifetime, I'm sure each of us have sinned more than once. And it's muddled our life up. And I see sometimes people literally get stuck 
in uh, guilt, like a big black cloud raining on them the rest of their life. Oh my God, I messed up. I did this. I did that. God can't do uh, anything with me more. I'm done. I'm a lost cause. And that's a lot of baloney because God can redeem even the worst mistake or sin that we have done. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. So God can bring good out of all things. <laughs> but that promise is not just to anybody on the streets. There's two conditions to that promise. Number one, it says here, uh, to those who are called according to his purpose. That means you're a believer, okay? And the second condition is it says to those who love God. You could be a believer and have a bad attitude and whine and complain, and God's not going to bring good out of it. But what I could see here biblically is if I've sinned and I messed up and I'm a believer and I'm seeking to walk with God and I'm seeking to love him and I say, Lord, I messed up big time. I think God says, okay, I can even use that to further my kingdom. Let me give you um, a poster child of that. And his name is Charles Colson. Colson was caught doing something politically illegal uh, when Nixon was president. He was tried, went to prison. And folks, that could have been the end of his life. He could have messed up royally, sinned, and just, you know, that was it. And ended very badly. Uh, but as the slogan goes, uh, Colson took lemons and he made lemonade out of them. And out of him being in prison, he started a prison ministry that has literally touched prisoners around the world. Amazing. So God took the sin of Colson, and Colson basically in prison has a conversion experience and takes the pain of the past and makes it an amazing ministry. And God is not a respecter of persons in Acts 10. 34, that's what it says. God is not a respecter of persons. And what God did for Colson, he'll do for other people as well. I know there's people that have had abortions and have tremendous pain over that. But they've got over that. And now they're, they're uh, petitioning for life for children. There's people uh, that have lost their kids to drunk drivers. And they could sit there <coughs> and be miserable and get angry at God, and yet there's a group, I believe it's called MAD, uh, Moms Against Drunk Driving, and they've turned a bad into a good. So if there's anybody that could have sat in a mess was the uh, Apostle Paul. Remember he saw, he hated Jesus, he hated Christians. Talk about a negative attitude and a sinful attitude. So I could have just sat there and said, oh, man, I am so screwed up. God can never use me again. And yet, after his conversion, basically Saul said, you know, forgetting what lies behind. I'm not going to get stuck in my past. I'm not that person. I'm not the person in my heart of hearts who hates Christians. No, I love Jesus, and I'm going to use my life to proclaim him. And probably he became one of the greatest, not probably, has become one of the greatest evangelists of all time. He didn't get stuck in his past. 
but he used his past to project him into a positive future. So I just want you to know that, that God can redeem even the worst thing we've done if we're willing to love him and trust him and obey him. So bottom line, a takeaway probably for me, the main deal is God has an amazing plan for everybody on this screen. No exceptions. God has a great plan for you. Absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And God wants to initiate that plan in his time and in his way. So here's the big deal. When he initiates that plan, when he gives you that nudge, when he gives you that prompting, what are you going to do with it? Will you step out in faith like Abraham and trust him and obey him? Or will you not step out and choose to do your own thing? That's a challenge to every one of us. But I just pray by the grace of God that we would all have that ability that when God speaks, we'd say, Lord, I hear you. And it may be scary, but I'm going to trust you that you have a good plan and you know what you're doing with my life as I walk into the future. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for Genesis 12. We thank you for the example of Abraham, Lord, for the example of a man who stepped out in faith, left the comfort of home, and he launched out on a word from you. So Lord, may he be our example that we could step out in faith, meaning that we're willing to be obedient when you asked us to do something that we're not gonna lie behind uh, but we're going to report for duty and follow you wherever you want us to go. So I pray for each of my brothers and sisters, Lord, work into us the willingness to let you be the originator and that you'd work into us the fact that we could be the responders in faith and obedience. So, Father, we thank you and we give you the rest of this day. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.